0: Welcome in. It is the Holy Grail BCJ podcast here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. Thanks as always to our title sponsor, the Holy Grail at the Banks. Be ready next week, Dave. We are cranking up the watch parties again. Another two-game road swing. Another two watch parties at the Holy Grail as we will be there for Games against Wichita State and UConn next weekend. So, Wichita State on Wednesday. UConn, uh, it's another Sunday one, right? It feels like the, the rest are just Sundays from here on out after uh, this Saturday. Yes, I, I, believe that's, I believe that's right. So, Wednesday and Sunday, Wednesday night, come watch what should be a huge game on the road at the Roundhouse. In Wichita, and then Sunday as they take on the Huskies of Connecticut. I believe Sunday is at 1. Sorry. Uh, noon. Noon? I thought was, one of is at 1. Coming yeah. Up. But, yeah. noon. I will be there. You should be there as well. It will be a good time. As these Bearcats are, uh, are getting on a roll, it will be a very good time to come down to Holy Grail Bank's. And cheer on the team, get yourself some beers, get yourself some wings, and enjoy watching the game with the Bearcat Journal crew. Dave! Yeah. It's getting pretty fun following, following this team as the Cincinnati Bearcats, not too bad as their... Uh, as their... The last three home games, they beat Tulsa, who is in, tied for first place in the league. They beat Tulsa by 31, beat East Carolina by 25, and then on Tuesday night, just absolutely trounced. What was, I mean, coming in, that was regarded as a pretty good SMU team. Cincinnati stomped on their throat early. And pulled away to win by 22. It was a fantastic night for Jaron Cumberland. An efficient night for Jaron Cumberland as he pumps in 28 points. And the defense just absolutely shut down what was a very efficient, a super efficient SMU offense coming into the game. And took away basically any production from Kendrick Davis who was looking like he was going to be in play for a first-team all-conference selection coming into that game. 16.5 points a game on the season, 7.1 assists. He was the leader in the American Conference in assists coming into the game. He goes 0 for 6 from the floor, 0 of 3 from 3, only one assist, no points. Great job by Micah Adams-Woods. Chris McNeil also getting some minutes on him, Keith Williams a little bit, Zach Harvey a little bit. But... I think the thing that that really stood out to me, Dave, and I—I I asked Coach Brandon about this in the post game. Um, you go to Temple against a really good defense, you score 89 points, and then you come home against a really good SMU offense, and you hold them what? Their their season low coming in was 58. I think 59. 59. To win, so yeah, and they had only scored under 74 times. Yeah. So you hold them way under their, not just their average, way under their previous season low. And just in terms of taking away what SMU wanted to do offensively, they they dominated that game start to finish.
1: Yeah, I think that was my biggest takeaway was the things that they did poorly in the first half against Temple – Defensively, I thought they did a really good job against SMU, and that was you know kind of guarding the ball, limit, limiting dribble penetration, and interior post defense. Um, yeah, you know, they they also did a really good job against SMU's um, ball screen actions, but like the, the issues that we saw against Temple it seemed like SMU tried at least initially to kind of see if those had been corrected and they clearly had been because, you know, Mike Adams Woods had a couple blocks. The post defense was, was real good. Um, There just really wasn't anywhere for them to go. And granted, You know, if you shoot as bad as they shot, you can't shoot that bad without missing some open shots. Like, Oh, it's good to kick out. Well, they missed a bunch of open shots. Well, yeah, you can't shoot thirty percent or whatever they shot on all contested shots. Like you just had a bad you have a bad shooting night, but then they also were turn had a lot of turnovers, which is not what they usually do because they're one of the slowest paced teams in the country. I think UC did a really good job trying to speed them up uh, in the first half, get them a little bit uncomfortable uh, offensively and you were able to kind of ride your best player on a night when offensively I wouldn't say everybody had an off night but you know it just it didn't click like it had been the last couple games for for vote and trade wasn't a scorer but he had an incredible plus minus on the broadcast they talked about I think it was in the second half he had maybe four points and However many rebounds he was plus, plus minus was he was plus minus was
0: 20, he was plus twenty one. He was plus twenty seven, I think, for the game.
1: For the game. So, you know, but that's that's what this team can do though, with Jaron playing maybe not at that level where he's ultra efficient and seems like he made everything he put up, but when he can take over a game, you're you're so much less reliant on someone else also having a really good game. And you can get away with vote having nine and eight and Keith having 13. And that kind of being the main three guys, when you're all American is playing like that. And, you know, it just changes everything. Mean, Cause really SMU is not a very good defensive team and we only scored 65 points. Right. But, it was never close because, you know, and and John talked about wanting to get both sides in sync at the same time. Um, But right now I think, you know, I know there's, you know, we might get to it and, you know, there's still a third of the season left. Like there's still 10 games, regular season games left. Just they're trending in the right direction. And I don't, I hate the cliche But seriously, this team and the fans should just go one game at a time. Beat Houston. Don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about what someone put on the bubble or who's on the bubble or not on the bubble or brackets. Like, it doesn't matter right now. Like, those things are fun to read, and I don't read them at all right now, but just because it literally is not worth the toilet paper that we use to wipe our butts. With a third of the season left. Like, there's no way you can tell me that all of these kind of mid-tier teams, like, oh, yeah, this team is on the bubble, this one's not, this one's in. Like, you give me three teams in those situations, I could totally see them winning 7 out of 10 or losing 7 out of 10. So just focus on what they can control, beat Houston, you know, and go from there. Because I think the best thing we can say about them is, that Jaron is good to go. Guys have bought into their roles and they're turning in the right direction.
0: Yeah, and that's, I mean, Dave, isn't this exactly what we talked about from the beginning? A matter of when will this team click? And now it's starting to click. I mean, it's not there yet, I don't think. There are still things to clean up. There are still situations where like you said, they're not fully connected on both ends on the same night. Um, we haven't seen that yet, but Temple was a top 15 defense and they scored 89 points. SMU in efficiency was a top 25 offense. They scored 43. So what we are seeing, I think, and, and I again, this is something I, I pointed out in my line of questioning in the post-game press conference last night, this team is paying a lot of attention to the scouting report and and, and adhering to what the staff is asking of them right now. And to me, that's the telltale sign that a team is locked in, right? More so than are you making shots or whatever might be happening on the court. The coaching staff is saying, This is exactly what we want from you. This is how we want it done. And they have a basketball team right now that is going out and is able to execute those things at a pretty high level, which we didn't see earlier in the year. And we're starting to see with consistency over long stretches right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're still, like, they probably should have been up about 20 in the first half, but they had, again, careless turnovers – in the first two thirds of the first half. And then the last seven and a half minutes, they turn it over once and it goes from a 14 po- or a four point game to a 14 point game.
0: Funny like, how that works, isn't it? <laughs> it's, 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 it's wild. <laughs> Especially with the For, team that, that is, it, it, you know, with what their shooting percentages have become in conference play. If you cut out the turnovers, they're going to be really good on offense.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's last three games. Since Memphis, they're shooting basically forty-nine percent from the floor, thirty-five from three, and seventy—I think seventy-eight or seventy-nine percent from the line. So, and they're still a good good rebounding team. They only gave up eight offensive rebounds on forty misses. So, if you don't turn the ball over, right now you've got about a two-thirds sh- chance of scoring because you're either going to make a field goal or get an offensive rebound and, and then score again or or get fouled. Right. With the way they're shooting and playing offense. And, and I think, like, we, we know how Jaron, especially when he's in this point guard role, is ultra-aggressive. But, like, some of those passes last night, I'm just like, they're just such a what is the point of those. Well, like you're gonna throw it ahead to vote, and then he's gonna
0: do what with it? I, look, I I get what people are saying in that in that vein, and to an extent I agree, but I think there is also a point where you have to realize part of what makes Jaren elite, and maybe a big part of what makes Jaren elite, is he sees things before anybody else sees them. He sees things as they're developing and I don't want to take that aggression away from him where he's thinking in a in a split second decision, wait, who am I trying to pass this to? Wait, who am I like the the pass to Mamadou I think was the the perfect example last night. In transition, he he catches someone flashing The pass was impossible. I have no idea how he got the pass from point A to point B. Um, But Mamadou's probably not ever going to, or at least not right now, going to catch that pass and be able to convert. However, I don't want Jaron hesitating, worried about in those type of situations, wait, am I throwing it? Is it the right guy to, to make this pass to? I want him being ultra-aggressive. I don't mind those turnovers. I really don't. I, I, I agree
1: halfway with you. I don't. I want him to be aggressive also, but I think he needs to read the flow of the game better because it, there was a point in the first half last night when it got a little ragged, and he's got to be able to go, okay, I know that this is what I want to do, but right now we need to just dribble the ball up and get into something and get a bucket.
0: That part I agree with.
1: Because there were a couple times like, yeah, I want him to throw the lead pass and throw the pass to somebody. But if you do that a couple times in a row, whether it's his fault or anybody else's fault, and it's a turnover the third time or the or the fourth time, like if there's a just a missed shot in between, and then there's another possession, and now it's the fourth time, you can't do that anymore. You can't have like an extended run of plays where you're trying to make these great passes and there's a couple missed shots in there and all of a sudden we've gone five or six possessions and we haven't gotten a good look. That's that's my point. Like To me, there's a difference in being aggressive and then reading the, the situation of the game and going, okay, right now isn't the time for that. It's the time to, for me to be the point guard and the best player, and whether it's me getting the bucket or me setting up somebody else, That's I need to do that now.
0: I, and I get that. I, I just think all, you're it's really hard to ask somebody that sees the game in that light to dial it back. And even if it's situationally, and and there's a lot of that that I agree with. I just don't know if you're going to get the best of Jaron, if he's worrying about now, like the two, the two attempted alley-oops to Trey, those weren't there. There was no point in throwing those passes. The defense wasn't going to allow either of those plays to happen. If it did, it would have had to have been in such a small window that it would have been like highlight of the decade type stuff. Like, right. But the the pass to vote, the pass to Mamadou, those I don't really mind because I it's just him seeing the game and reacting, especially if they're going to continue to have a big part of this uh, attack be moving the ball forward via the pass. You're gonna just have some of that. That's it's the nature of the beast. Um, so I, I think you know I don't think you're wrong. I just think there are certain situations where I don't mind it. Other situations where it's like, you know, what what good is a lob pass gonna do in that situation?
1: Right. I mean, and I think that's my overriding point is the sign of a of a true point guard. Or true playmaking point guard and and him taking that next step and maybe that's just not maybe it's 100% go I can make this pass all the time and and that's fine I'm willing to live with it but I I think this team can take that next step like just look I'm just looking at it this way so they I think they have like eight turnovers in the first half and obviously they're not all him but if that was five turnovers and they ended up on those other three possessions, they ended up scoring four points or whatever. That could be the deciding factor in a game at some point. So it's just, to me, it's just, it's taking that next step. It's the next evolution of, of being that type of a guard in this type of a system. It's one thing if you're in mix system and he's walking the ball up and they're draining 25 seconds out of the shot clock and ISOing and, And he's going, it's different. I I understand there's more possessions, more opportunities for positives and negatives. You know, it's all part of it. But I think for them to – we're talking about going in the right direction. Okay, here's where we can improve and continue to go take that next step is, you know, maybe instead of four of those type of plays, maybe you only try to pull two off and you get buckets on the other two because you know, okay – I want to throw this pass, but I can tell it's not there. That's all. I mean, it's, I, it's nit, I think it's a little bit nitpicking, but it's somewhere where you watch him as a as a lead guard, and you say this is where he can be better.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree. I, I would also say it's interesting to me. Um, what thirteen tur- total turnovers last night? Like you said, eight of them in the first half.
1: But only first three. like twelve minutes, yeah. really. I mean
0: I know at the under eight stop they had seven, I think.
1: Yeah, seven thirty six. Yeah. They had seven, and they had one the rest of the first half.
0: Only three steals, though, by SMU. So they weren't given right. away I mean, for easy
1: buckets. It was aggressive it was a they were aggressive turnovers, like these lead passes and, and trying to do some some things that you know, and that's why I'm saying it's it's not it's not like the turnovers we've been accustomed to seeing where they're just basically giving the ball to the other team or throwing it out of bounds. Like they're they're trying to make plays and I can appreciate that, but I think in that one sequence last night I was just thinking, you know, we've got a lead and now all of a sudden they're coming back into this on two threes just because we've had like a little three, four minute drought where we're just not getting any good shots.
0: And, and that's
1: fair, yeah, you know, against the Houston, against the Wichita, you can't do
0: that, I feel you and and you're gonna have to clean it up, like you said in in quick order because now you get Wichita State on the road right after you play Houston at home, so we you know six and two right now they're in a pretty good spot in terms of positioning for the the conference. But now's the time you have to maybe take that extra step and right and push like six yourself. and two doesn't yeah, now six and two doesn't mean a whole lot
1: if you drop the next two
0: right six and four and you're way on the outside of the bubble and you're probably not then then you're probably not getting in without a a conference tournament win or running the table the rest yeah. of the way things that are unlikely. So, it's um, it's definitely, it, it's been interesting to watch develop. And it, do you have, like, have you ever seen a stretch at home where they are just demolishing conference teams like this? I mean, the year they played at NKU, they pretty much beat the crap out of everybody yeah, except yeah.
1: Wichita State.
0: Well, I think they were, what, um, the, they had the largest margin of victory in the country that year.
1: The country, yeah. So,
0: yes, I have. But, <laughs> True.
1: um but not when you take into account like we expect I don't know if we expected that out of that team, but the expectations for that team were very high. The expectations for this team were not to beat anybody in conference by twenty to thirty points a game, regardless of where it was, right, so in that regard, no, I mean. If you told me two months ago, regardless of who we played in conference, that we're going to win by 22, 25, and 31, I'd have been like, "All right, you're out of your mind, right? right. Like, we're we, we're not beating bad teams right now. Right. So, but they've definitely taken a big step, and I mean, I have full confidence that they're not going to lose a home game. I am I don't think anybody in this league is better than them, especially at the shoe, um, so it's just it's going to come down to games at Houston, at Wichita, at SMU. How many of those can you win?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we'll we'll go ahead and, and start talking about the uh, the inevitable. Houston comes to town, but. Saturday 6 o'clock it should be an electric atmosphere these two teams have positioned themselves as the standard bearers for this conference over the last three seasons that looks to pretty much continue again this year Cincinnati has got to hold serve at home against Houston because going there and and winning is is not going to be easy but Dave when I look at this Houston team this is a much different animal than the teams of the past two years. Yes, they've they've got some playmakers. They they they're long, they're athletic. They're gonna foul you seventy three times a game and hope that only twenty five of them are called. Um but I I think with the way Cincinnati has been playing, especially at home, I think they match up fairly well with this Houston team.
1: Well to me the biggest difference now no one on their roster scares you. Like Caleb, no one Caleb Mills scares me. Uh not not on the road, not not yet.
0: I gotta see that against <laughs> you he. Yeah, he's he's gonna be he's he's really good right now and gonna be really, really good.
1: Oh, I'm not I'm not absolutely, but I'm saying like when you played Houston in the last two years you knew Corey Davis was going to get it, and you knew Armani didn't Brooks matter what
0: was going to get it.
1: Didn't matter, didn't matter what you did. Corey Davis was going to get fifteen to twenty five. Yeah, and with this Houston team, I think Jurewos playing better than he was maybe a few weeks ago. Um, Caleb Mills, like you said, it's probably their best player right now, but like. I'm not going – well, Caleb Mills is going to get 20 for sure. How You know, we got to make sure we don't let anybody else go off. Like, I don't feel that way. Um, I, I don't think their bigs are as good as they have been. Um, they're just – they're just five – they're still like – Chris Harris still hasn't become anything more than five fouls. He he blocks a few shots, gets a few rebounds, and that's it. Um, Bryson Gresham blocks some shots, gets some rebounds, five fouls. So, I think... But I do think that this is a big game for for Vogt. Because he cannot get in foul trouble. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they're they're going to to suck you into that, yeah. Right, because they're... You know... But from... I just think it's a. I mean, everybody. It's just different. These like Caleb Mills has never played that niche, right? Um. That, the other guys have, but they don't have like a. You know, I'm still wondering, Henton, is Mills their guy in, Henton, in Henton crunch time now?
0: Yeah. I mean, Hinton has been almost more of. Over- a really good glue guy than he has been than a star turn type guy.
1: He hasn't really taken that,
0: that step. I thought maybe he was going to, I would agree with that.
1: Um, So, I mean, they they obviously still have good players. They're 24 strength in the country. Yeah.
0: I'm not saying they're bad by any stretch. Oh no, I'm not either.
1: But I think just from, like from this standpoint, when you have Jerry, when you have Trey, you have Keith, you have Chris, vote. Like, I think those. I mean, I think those guys are more than capable of continuing what they've been doing against a better team at home.
0: Yeah, I, I, I just think when I look at Houston, the thing, especially last year, that always scared the crap out of you was Brooks and Davis going on one of those stretches where the two of them combined for 14 of their 18 points in a three-minute run. And I just don't know that that this Houston team yet has that ability to put one of those, you know, crazy 18-3 to runs on you that we've seen from them in the past two years that we saw from them last year at Fifth Third Arena where they were able to put that oh, yeah. away in, in quick fashion. Right. And, it's,
1: it's, you know, without Galen Robinson pitching to those two guys on the wing, it doesn't seem like they're playing at the same, I don't know, pace is the right word, or speed. It just feel, it felt like they played so, like, when they could tell last year, like when they had you and they went to, like, a next gear and – like it was just ultra quick, boom, 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 like six or eight quick points, five point lead went to eleven, and right. like
0: it's game over. I don't see that from this team. No. So who you got? What do you think? Oh, he's going to he will win. You think they'll pull away and win big like they have been?
1: I don't, I mean, like by 22, I don't know if I go that far. (laughs) Um, I mean, Jaron is clearly in, in something right now. So yeah, it's not out of the realm. I mean, it's, it's all, it's from this point on, it's going to be about the other guys. Like, do you get enough from the other guys against the better teams? Because like nobody from who's checking him from Houston,
0: right? So it's about the other guy. All right, I, I, I've I've got Cincinnati as well in this one. I do. I do have one random question
1: about UC this year. I want to see if you believe this is true. Is Javen Cumberland a better three point shooter off the dribble than catch and shoot?
0: Uh no, I I think some of that is cyclical. I think he has been of late. And I don't know what exactly that that is attributed to other than just, you know, sometimes that's how it goes for, for a shooter, that's just the nature right. of of how it goes sometimes.
1: I mean, she's so
0: well. He's going to make everyone cook. That. Right. I, it, but it just
1: it's, it's it's funny like Last night you started at what zero for five and then hit one on a on a one dribbled move into the left.
0: Yeah. So I I I'm, I got something else I want to I want to I want to switch gears real quick. Maybe we'll come back to basketball. Okay. UC just released their top ten moments of the 2019 football season. A little bit ago on Twitter. I want to go over this. Yeah. I, I I I saw that. Number ten, Dokes putting up three touchdowns against Tulsa. I think that's fair. Warren, number nine, rushing for two thousand career yards. I might have that higher. Uh, Ritter's Birmingham Bowl performance at number eight. I might have that higher. Gardner, the pick six against UCF at number seven. Are are you? What are we the number doing number one here? moment of the year. What like, are we doing here? That's, who's, that's number seven. Who's who, who voted on this? That, like, yeah, I, I would like to know that. It's the number one moment, like singular moment of the season. It changed the entire season. It set the tone for the entire rest of the season.
1: Number seven? Like if, I'm not saying like if he doesn't make that play, they don't win, but like it was the biggest play in the biggest game of the season. Because if they don't win that game, none of the other moments mean
0: anything. Number six, Derek Forrest's interception against Tulsa. Like, what are we doing? That's ahead of the Ahmad Gardner pick six against UCF? And it was a great interception Blainton by dis- Forrest. Blatant but- disrespect for Sauce. What, what uh, The block kicks are number five? That's not that's not anywhere near as good as Gardner's pick six.
1: Is the, is the, is the accumulation of five blocked punts and extra... I would put... I would not put the blocked kick against Temple ahead, but I would have singled that one out and put that ahead of some of the other things, but it still wouldn't have been ahead of... Sauce's pick six against UCF if that makes
0: sense the forest interception to secure the AAC East title I could see that being up there
1: not ahead of Mets blocking the extra point
0: right and Kobe's return right I mean like that play I mean, you know, right. the whole the whole play number three is the comeback at ECU That Gardner pick six wasn't as good as the, the UCF one. And then number two and number one are the Crosa game-winning field goals, ECU and hey. USF. I think now we figured it out. Sam Crosa did this list. <laughs> right?
1: Uh, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. <laughs>
0: Gardner pick six versus UCF at seven is the most ridiculous thing. Like, whoever voted on that should never be allowed to vote on anything again.
1: I don't know, you might get yourself in trouble. What, what if? I don't know. I would like to know. Maybe we could have them on the pod to discuss,
0: like, a first take type thing. <laughs> I'm gonna while we're doing this podcast I'm going to see if I can get to the bottom of who voted. Well while Chad's doing that, yeah, go ahead and remember talk, talk for a second.
1: You can find the Bearcat Journal podcast on iTunes. Just search B C J podcast. Subscribe, like get it right to your phone as soon as it's posted or somewhat as soon as it's posted. I know we had, I don't think it was anything we did, but a little bit of timing issues of been getting them up, getting it up. But BCJ podcast on iTunes, subscribe, like, um, you know, make sure you get, check out all the football recruiting coverage. I'm sure we'll get into some of that, but signing day is Wednesday. Should, should still see some additions. We'll do a quick AAC whip around. Yukon is dog walking temple right now, 5733. Without Altari Gilbert. It's amazing what happens when Altari Gilbert doesn't play. (laughs) I'm not saying anything, I'm
0: just saying something. Well, could you, and I've said this to you uh, talking earlier in the week, (laughs) could you imagine? what this fan base would be saying if they had a senior point guard that had had regressed and become as mind numbingly frustrating and, and difficult to watch as what Altery Gilbert has been this year for UConn. He is no dreadful. Dreadful. I after one I forget
1: which game it was, but I said to Chad, I said, Chad if al Gilbert played for the Bearcats, I would have to be on heavy narcotics to watch our games. I mean, it is like awful. They've lost four games in a row. All close, but four games in a row. And now they are beating the crap out of Temple, and he's not playing. I mean, come on.
0: Can't be a coincidence, right?
1: No, not at all can't be. So you got that going on. You got Memphis starting to pull away from UCF. UCF was in control most of the first half. The tie game, one-point game at halftime. Memphis now 49-43. Six minutes to go. Nothing better than talking about live sporting events on a podcast that people won't listen to <laughs> until late tonight or tomorrow.
0: But All right, my, my text is sent. Kind of- My text is sent. I went straight to the top. I went straight to the top, Dave. He's probably going to be annoyed with me for sending him a text and asking that question. But I asked Luke Fickle who voted on that list.
1: <laughs> he probably doesn't even know it came
0: out. I know. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be like, "What? Li- what list?" No, I sent a, a screenshot of the uh, of the tweet. With the list on the side As the video was playing So the list is there He's got it to see And I said the sauce pick At number 7 WTF And he's going to get really annoyed with me For sending him that tweet Or that that text But I mean (laughs) It's not 11 o'clock Like he yelled at me for sending him a text At 11 o'clock the night before The original signing day So I mean 841 that should be should be pretty reasonable to get a text from me. I would right. think. I I would think so. Signing day coming up, the second signing day. We are what exactly a week away? Yes, we are. So let's uh, let's discuss that a little bit before we get out of here tonight. Two commitments over the weekend. You get one from Dominique Perry, defensive lineman out of Maryland, who I think that from what I know this staff is very high on Dominique Perry. They see him, I think very much in the mold and he'll probably start at strong side defensive end. but my guess is long term that that's a kid that they see very much in a similar light as Jabari Taylor, Elijah Ponder, Curtis Brooks um yeah not not Marcus Brown because Brown is is a lot bigger but i think they see Perry as a guy that they can get up in that probably 275 280 range and be a disruptive force whether it be at strong side defensive end or inside a defensive tackle um i know people get caught up in the ratings but especially at this level when you're looking at defensive linemen you're not always going to get exactly what you want in terms of physical attributes, in terms of ratings, whatnot, and what have you. I think they have a guy they really feel comfortable with in this class inside and in Justin Watley. And I think they see Dominique Perry as a guy that that could compliment Watley in a very good way uh, as we get into you know, when this class starts to, to get on the field and, and, and see action, uh, I know they are very excited to have been able to land Dominique Perry, uh, even if some wonder why they would take a kid that, that has that ranking. Well, yeah, I mean,
1: not really going to pr- protest what they've been doing on the defensive line of late. And I think they had to get someone just because get an get an additional guy just because you look at the classes. Like you have heavy, heavy senior, junior right. defensive line. So you're I mean, you gotta you have to balance it out. So it, it makes total sense in that regard. I mean I was impressed just <clears throat> watched this highlight tape take Highlight tapes for what they are, but I mean, he chased down a running back from the opposite side of the field, like sixty yards downfield, made the tackle. I don't, I mean, not a whole lot of defensive linemen are doing that on any level. So right. I mean, it shows he has, he has traits. It's, it's always going to be with with this level of guy. Like, okay, well, how can like where are you player development wise? this staff has shown to be very good at that. So I, you know, at least in certain positions.
0: Right. And then a commitment from a guy that we've been waiting on a commitment from basically since June. (laughs) As they get one from Chris Scott, Wide receiver out of Pickerington. Good size, good athleticism. Not great high end speed, but at a four-six, he's fast enough on the outside. Probably gonna be more of a, a possession guy, a guy that, you know, can go up and, and high point the football, make contested plays. Um I think that's gonna be one that look, let's be real. They are looking to completely overhaul that receiver room you're bringing in two kind of slot guys and Tyler Scott and Norman Love you've got Chris Scott in the fold there's very much a, a possibility they bring in a transfer wide receiver and I'm not going to be surprised if there are two more high school receivers added as we get to signing day. On top of what they've already got, Dave, that puts six new bodies in that wide receiver room. And I think you start it with a six two, six three kid, um that that can make plays on the outside, which is what that room has been lacking outside of Alec Pierce, especially now with the departure of Malik Moj. I think Chris Scott is exactly the type of guy they, they need to add. Now, attention turns to Marquez Bell, turns to Mike Petway. Maybe they've got a a secret bullet in the gun. We'll find out as we get closer to signing day. But ultimately, if you're going to completely rehaul what your outside receiver group looks like, Chris Chris Scott's a pretty good way to start it, a top 25 kid in Ohio.
1: Well, yeah. I mean... Excuse me. Like, we we talked about, you know, the way they were going to transition kind of their philosophy, who they were looking at. We also said that it wasn't going to be six, five, ten back guys, like super speed guys. You still you still need – I mean, like, if he's – it's pretty lofty standards from a EC standpoint, but, like, if he's Khalil Lewis, I'm good with that. Khalil didn't have blazing speed; he ran great routes.
0: And I maybe so, and I mean, I, I, I'm coming to the the realization I probably underappreciated Khalil Lewis. Not that I didn't think he was good, <laughs> but he was probably better than I gave him credit for in looking at what they were able to do this year. Right. Just. A, I mean, if that's the type opinion. of
1: if that's the type of
0: guy he is, well,
1: every team, most I mean, most every team would take that, right? Right. I agree. You don't. You know, I just think it's the it's the getting away from like the the abundance of six two plus two 10 to 15 plus guys <clears throat> that you know just aren't built for the type of offense they need to run
0: yeah but i mean you still need those guys in the room that's what i mean yeah that's that's what scott is he's one of those guys
1: right how about this memphis up five two minutes to go Lance Thomas, averaging 2.6 points a game, just hit a three and has 17 for Memphis. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's That's a crosstown shootout stat line right there, if I've ever seen one. Yeah.
0: Who? Had what? Yeah. Dude hadn't hit a three all year. Got four of them. Out of body experience type of day, Dave. Out of body experience yep. type of day, um,
1: but yeah, I mean you're you're just you're oh, you're. We'll get into it on on signing day when we see what actually happened. But I mean, I actually wrote down the receivers from I want to say twenty what twenty. It was before Fickle was here, but guys that were still on the team. So like 20, 16, 17, 18, uh-huh. maybe even to into 15 classes. Because that's when Joker was still here too. Right. I'm pretty sure there were like, I want to say like 12 or 13 guys. And Pierce and Jay Sean are the only two that are still here.
0: Yeah. Well, Cloud.
1: And all those guys would have been the oldest guys would have been seniors on this year's team.
0: Yeah.
1: And Cloud. Yeah. Or that I mean, that Cloud has hasn't made been able to like
0: crack. yeah.
1: Right. I should have said the, the two guys that have been able to kind of you know step, separate. Dude just hit another 3. I'm not kidding. He's got 20 now. <laughs>
0: it's, Lance Thomas it's going ridiculous for, uh, for first team all conference. Based on his performance tonight against Central Florida, <laughs> um, and then as far as but, de- de- yeah, God, no, that's,
1: that's all I was saying was that we'll get into it more next week. But when we do break it
0: down name by name, it's going to be pretty clear why they're doing what they're doing. And then as far as defensive back, which seems to be the other spot, um. I don't think it's looking good on William Anglin. I'm not getting a good vibe from that one. If I had to guess right now, I would pick Colorado. Which, for a kid from Cleveland going to Boulder, seems a little crazy. But there is a connection there from the assistant that is recruiting him, who is familiar with the the Cleveland area, and especially Ted Ginn Sr., and I just from the time he visited right before the initial signing day I just always kind of got the, the the sense that it, it didn't seem like a fit for him so that brings us to McDonald and what's his first name again uh
1: I think,
0: like that. Yeah. Something along those lines. Who I I know, um, he was a former Ole Miss commit, high three-star kid. Um, I think athletically, everything matches up. Uh, I think the biggest question with him will probably be um, on the academic side. Do they feel, you know, he can get to a point where he can qualify? I think we'll see maybe, and it, with with most of the rest of these options, I'm not expecting anything um, being announced until signing day. But I think with McDonald, it's going to come down to I think it'll be an internal decision. Um, do we do we think academically everything is going to check out? If everything is going to be a fit, I could I could see them making a move on him. But I don't think they're in a position where they they just have to take another dB to take one either. So no, that I mean, if be that's
1: the to best, watch. if the that's, if that's DB is the best player that you can get and you think he can like legitimately help you then you take him but if if not then there's no it's not like they need like have to find one like they're not short there.
0: Right, there's plenty of talent, both at corner and safety, to where it's not, it's not an absolute necessity. And it, it, look, from what we've seen from them since they got here, they'd take 25 defensive backs of class if they could. <laughs> right. So they're always going to add talent, as much talent back there as possible. But on this one, I, I think it, they're in a situation where they can they can evaluate what they're looking at. They got a feel for the kid after coming in on an official visit. And if they decide he's somebody they want to add, I think they can make a move on that. Um, but I don't feel like they, they feel like it, it, it's an absolute necessity that they have to do. So, um, th- so that one will be interesting to watch. I, I do think they're in a good spot with, with Bell as at wide receiver. I do think they're in a, in a pretty good spot as well with Petway. It'll be interesting do you add both of those kids to to put you at five new wide receivers with the potential for a transfer coming up? Um, like I said, that's that's six, and that's that's a major turnover to a room that that usually has what twelve, thirteen guys.
1: Yeah. Are you asking my opinion? Are you just asking
0: a in, in general? You you're more than welcome general. to give your, you, you're more than welcome to give your opinion. Well, you know, everyone knows
1: my opinion. They listen to this on a regular basis. Absolutely.
0: Add as many as you can.
1: Yeah, like we're, we like don't we want to have like less good players, <laughs> or less players we think can be good or better than what we currently have.
0: I think that's what it comes down to can you go out and make that can you go out and significantly improve that room in a recruiting cycle because we've talked about this Dave that's the one room like you just said that's the one room that hasn't popped on the recruiting trail since this staff took over they got to figure out a way to 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 get more out of it and if that includes a complete overhaul at, at going into year 4 then hey you know what Sometimes you gotta sit down in the boardroom, you gotta analyze your strengths and weaknesses and say this is where we've missed and we need to, to make a change. Then you then that's what you well, do. I don't feel bad pumping this,
1: but Justin Williams from the Athletic had an excellent article with Coach Fickle this week, and that's exactly what he said. It's it's real easy to go from four wins to whatever. And then how do you go from
0: Eleven to thirteen. You
1: know, eleven to, to. How do you go from eleven to thirteen? How do you go from good to great? You're not going from this year to higher than than this year with the same production you had at wide receiver. I can tell you that
0: much. Yeah, I agree. Completely agree. So, with the game Wednesday next week at Wichita. My guess is this podcast will be Thursday. I don't like doing them. Uh, just a little you know, insight into the, the brainchild here. I don't like doing them the day before a basketball game because I don't feel like they get much, much run uh, before they get outdated. So my guess is we will go on Thursday. Um, I do not know. If they do, I mean, if you're looking at potentially Perry – And Scott, and maybe two more, three more guys. With four or five guys, I think there might be a media availability that afternoon. Um, So I will do what I always try to do and and get with the coordinators, um, with Denbrock and Freeman, after I get done with the press conference and try to get some thoughts on the guys that they added uh, and get that up in podcast form. Or, depending on how things play out, maybe add it into this podcast and we'll react Uh, To what the two coaches uh, have to say. Um, But I would think Thursday would be when to, uh, to look for this show next. So, first off, make sure Wednesday night you're at the Holy Grail. And watching the Bearcats take on Wichita State. And then you can hear us talk about it on Thursday. As we talk about that game. Maybe the Houston game, uh, if there's still a little bit to, 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 to clean up from that. And then whatever happened to close out the class on signing day, and I was playing with some numbers. I think there's a pretty good chance they can get into the top 50, Dave. When you start doing the class calculator and what would happen uh, with another two, potentially three additions, it would put them in a pretty good spot to be inside the top 50 for the first time in the history of the UC football program.
1: Right. Yeah, I would, I would think so.
0: Not going to guarantee it, but I'm saying, I think there's a chance.
1: Then you're getting, you're getting closer to the, you're getting closer to the, even like being closer to the quantity that those other schools would have. Like you're never going to get there. Right. Recruiting. The guys they're recruiting, if you only have, like, you know, 18 commits, you have to get the quantity up.
0: Oh, by the way, I if guess you're around, Go ahead.
1: If you're around 85, you know, if your player averages around 85, you're going to have to get that quantity much closer to the 25 mark to get into that area.
0: By the way, give our thoughts on uh, – I'll, I'll get your thoughts. Evan Prater, number 45 player in the country – First time in school history, UC lands a top 50 player and not only a top 50 player, but a quarterback, the number four quarterback in the country, according to 24 seven sports. The guys ahead of him, the three guys ahead of him are going to Alabama, Clemson and Ohio state. And you get the guy right after them. It's not bad. The future is it's bright. Insane. But... <laughs> it is it's insane. insane. It is
1: like, it's insane.
0: And credit to like, Evan. Oh, for sure.
1: Credit to I mean, absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, second most, I mean, he's the talent. Like, obviously there's coaches and parents and all a whole bunch of other people that play a part in it, but it's his talent. I mean, but it's nuts. Like, think that you see is recruiting this was you know, this was a, this was
0: never an option in the past like this wasn't even thinkable
1: it wasn't I mean it doesn't matter who the coach was it was never an option um but to think that they're like recruiting on that level for you know a few kids like obviously not all of them are evan and and going to the, you know, all-American game and holding their own and jumping 60-something spots. Like, but, you know, we're there to the point now that in the vast majority of their class, over 50% of Power 5 schools would happily take those players.
0: Yeah. It's... and. and- from what, from what I've heard from, from insider sources, the one school that pushed hardest to try to get involved even after he'd committed to Cincinnati was LSU. You had a kid sign that the eventual national champions were trying to make a move on. And Evan was that committed to coming and playing for Luke Fickle that he didn't even entertain the thought. That's right. That's different. It's just, just not something I ever thought we'd be talking about with Cincinnati football. Like everybody, everybody says it. Everybody is like, you know, it would be great. Nobody ever believed that, right? Why? Why would you? Right. Like,
1: there has to be. There's a difference between just like blind faith and blind hope and a track record, like. There's never, ever, ever been a track record of getting
0: a commitment, let alone signing guys. And then the guy keeps going up. And I'll say, I'll I'll give another little look behind the scenes here. For a long time, like to get him up to like 102, to get him into that four-star role, there was a lot of work behind the scenes from guys like bill green and, and some pushing from myself but this final push that was all evan and his the impression he left on the national guys down at the army uh, all-american bowl
1: yeah mm-hmm.
0: and to have a guy committed to uc to have that opportunity and to take advantage of it like he did it's just impressive, man, and you got to take your hat off to Evan because he 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 walked through that door and, and was ready for those big that big stage, the big moment, and I think that says a lot for for the future and not only for this program, but for Evan as a, as the potential you know future quarterback of this program. So I think it's big time, and then of course a guy that bill green had been fighting tooth and nail for to get moved up to four-star status, got moved up to four-star status in Sammy Anderson. So the top two recruits in the group of five are both going to be Cincinnati Bearcats. It's pretty good.
1: Real real quick. Speaking of Sammy, did you see what his basketball team did last night?
0: 157 points. Was that it?
1: Hundred one they won one fifty three to sixty seven.
0: One fifty three. I knew it was up one fifty something. There are
1: thirty two minutes in a high
0: school basketball game. <laughs> and they scored 153 points. I mean that is I, don't know, just...
1: I, don't know. I didn't see any like individuals. I have no idea what he did, but I mean hundred and fifty three points.
0: It's a, lot of points. it's a lot of points. It's a lot of points. I tell you what. You could probably win a lot of basketball games with Sammy Anderson and Evan Prater on your team. Oh, yeah.
1: That yeah. might that might be a, high, a higher ground question this year. Just who's the starting five basketball team for the Bearcats?
0: Oof. I know Alec is That's, pretty good. I, I would think Wiley and Leonard Taylor would be in the running. Well, I mean, obviously. Um, Lorenz Metz is your center. No, no. Come on. You've got a college <laughs> basketball center on your roster. Oh, yeah, Darius Harper. Darius Harper is your center. You've got a kid that played two years at the Division One level on the team. You've got a center. <laughs>
1: yep, so there's your center. Taylor was good in high school. He was. He, he played That's for, your four. at Springfield.
0: That's your four. And then you go... You go Prater, Pierce, and Sammy, and Sammy. I think I think you could win some games with that group.
1: I think they'd be pretty. I think they'd be pretty good.
0: You get Wiggins coming off the bench, energy, and Mets coming off the bench, and then. Well, I, I don't know,
1: L- to, have, Wiley, to, Wiley to, was good at basketball. He, he, was, he was actually
0: good. Wiley know, he, was good he, at basketball. Like, I know there were a lot of people that at LaSalle that were furious that he didn't play his senior year. Yeah. And he's 6'7". Oh, yeah. He'll help you at the 4'. This team, You can put a pretty good basketball squad together with this football team. This is not like... Back in the day of, of getting Connor to walk on when there weren't many guys on the team that you could have put on a basketball floor. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this. When we when
1: I was at school at Tennessee, we played intramurals against the football team. <laughs> like the football team had an intramural team. That would have been awesome. we played them. My God. <laughs> were they pretty it was, good? It was, uh, yeah, it, they they, were, they, were, they weren't bad. They weren't
0: bad. I'll I'll still take my whoever if we're if you're building a football team a uh, basketball team out of college players I'll still take my college football team as an intramural team over anybody if only because my college football team as an intramural team would have included Randy Moss I think I win that one Would you give me maybe that one? maybe I think Randy would have been pretty I don't good. know. Randy would have been pretty good. Could you Chad yeah, Pen- for Chad sure. Pennington? Could you have seen Chad Pennington on a basketball floor? Yeah, like walking it up. Yeah. Like, <laughs>
1: re- re- really, good, really good screener.
0: Oh, he would have been money on outlet passes to Randy for dunks. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. All right. I think we're good. I think I think we've hit the finish line here. We went a little over just because I forgot we needed to talk about Evan being a being a, a top 50 kid. Now all they got to do, just follow it up with Corey Kiner in 2021. Get you another top 50, right. top 100 type kid. Two of them in a row. That's a trend, right? And it's that's not a surprise. Good. That's a trend. As Lou Brown would say,
1: that's the winning streak. Exactly.
0: All right. Thanks, as always, to the Holy Grail. For being the title sponsor of the show. Thanks to Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next time. It's the Holy Grail BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.